Welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week, we're wrapping up the Dark Prophecy with chapters 39 through 42. Two books down, three to go. Right? Yeah. I mean... It's a bit of a mix. I think yesterday, I was before I read these chapters, I was trying to remember all the things that happened in this book. Mm. And does the Hey Mama Aunt thing happen in this no, book? No, that was, was the, the last book? book. That was the last okay. one. Because I was trying worry. to decide if I liked this book. Like, I do. I think I liked it much better than the first book. Mm. But I was like, mm-hmm. oh, if the Hey Mama thing happened in this book, I can't like this book. Like, No, because that was the thing we didn't like about the last. That was, like, the worst part of the last book. So it's yes. it hasn't re-returned. He didn't say a rendition of it. <laughs> the reprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I would... I would... I would enjoy that if there was a reprise. <laughs> I would hate love it, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I really liked this book. I think because my expectations were so low after the first one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I make it sound like I, like, absolutely despised the first <laughs> one. It was just, there was just some parts that really got to me that I just couldn't get over. Yeah. And it was mostly the ant. <laughs> it was <laughs> Actually, only the ant, specifically the singing that just killed me. I'm like, if they ever get to like these and let decide to make some kind of show or something, I <laughs> really have to decide what to do. Like, are we gonna have to watch someone rap to an ant? Because I can't do that. Watch it be the number one song on Spotify. <laughs> Streaming <laughs> crazy. Ooh, the just- ant rap. And rap just to spite us, actually, hard our hatred for it. (laughs) But even the talking arrow, like, I hated it when it was introduced in the first book. Mm. But I thought it was kind of comedic in this one. Like, I didn't hate it with the burning passion that I did as Mm. as much as I did. Mm. So, I mean, a burning passion is that Uh, a is that a foresight to the next book? It is. I got the next one from the library oh, this week, so wow. I figured out the title of it. Mm. I did not know. I was like, oh, but the word prophecy isn't in it, so it's clearly not the Rot Right series. But <laughs> I guess uh, he's trying something new. <laughs> yeah. The Hidden Oracle is the first, the Dark Prophet. Yeah, this is a little different. It's not prophetic related, you know? No. Yeah. He's branching out. I was like, if imagine it's like the Hidden Oracle, the the... the Partially found oracle, the found <laughs> oracle, the deciphered oracle. <laughs> That's what we would have named our books. <laughs> yeah. The deciphered oracle. I like that one the best. And the last one's just called conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> the conclusion. It has to have the in front of it to make it like yeah. a, a proper book. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, to summarize what we're going to talk about, we're going to wrap up our book with a Shakespearean sonnet of a prophecy. We're going to split up our gang a little bit, and we might even see a familiar face. Mm. Shakespeare really is. uh, All the poems, all the different poetic formats are really coming in in these books. Yeah, he really leaned into, like, he doesn't really talk about the god of healing. Like, he mentions Apollo as, like, (laughs) the god of healing. It's something that Apollo kind of does, but he's actually not that good at it at it, at it as other people. But this poetry thing is really leaning yeah. into it. Yeah, because he has a, his one son, Asclepius, is like the 
who I don't know if I said that name right. He was mm-hmm. in uh, Heroes of Olympus and he's like the doctor god. And then there's also Will, who is also a doctor <laughs> in a 14-year-old's body. So Apollo's like, I don't really have to do the healing thing. I let Will do it. <laughs> Demigod My child. child. I like the idea that Rick is actually really squeamish, and so he doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk about, like, bandaging fluids and all that, you know, visceral stuff. Instead, Boring he goes things. for the wrapping. Yeah. Yeah. The wrapping. That's clearly his strong suit. <laughs> all right. So I've got chapters 39 and 40. So chapter 39. During this standoff, no flash photography, please. Oops. My bad. Ha ha. I like the ha-ha added on because we need some syllables. Yeah. So we left off with Commodus holding some of our friends hostage with his bodyguards because, you know, he's not doing the work. His little German men are. They're actually not little. They're quite large. Leo, Mm -hmm. Emmy, and Georgie are all being held hostage. So the others are all frozen on the ground, like facing off Commodus, afraid to make any sudden movement in case he murders their friends. Commodus announces that he is here for the throne of memory, which is still hidden in the way station. And they still haven't found it. Like the way station. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> for context. Listeners, Madison is highlighting in the outline. I spelled here H-E-A-R instead of H-E-R-E. We'll let that one go. I don't get a lot of gr- wins grammatically spelling wise i gotta take away taking it he's he's hearing it's not even a funny typo it's just dumb (laughs) but anyways he is here for the throne of memory which is hidden in the way station um but despite having leo emmy and georgie all captive things are not going very well for commodus clearly the way station is fighting back and keeping the throne hidden he um and he hasn't found it he also keeps killing like his own men when they fail and <laughs> half the monster i kind of love that move he's just like, that's really funny <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> and half of the monstrous troops also fell into the giant chute for laundry they're going all oh, they're going to the um overlander no wait what is it <gasps> underland what is the it underland yeah 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 that was a deep cut reference so Commodus, in a villainous rage, says that the soldiers are expendable, actually. He doesn't care about his own people. All he cares about is the throne. So he could get his own prophecies and have control of the prophecies and make his things come true. And my favorite thing about these chapters is that in Apollo's mind, he basically decides to fight Commodus with the advice of Commodus's own father. So he's, like, fighting with Commodus's daddy issues, which is funny. Mm. Good theme. Oh, he does. He also starts off when he's uh, trying to insult Commodus. He tells him, um, your father, Marcus Aurelius, there was an emperor. So he's fighting with daddy issues. But he remembers something Marcus Aurelius used to tell his son, something that became famous in his book Meditations. Think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take what's left and live it properly. What doesn't transmit light creates its own darkness. Like the old version of what sparks joy, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find what sparks joy. Kabotis apparently hated that quote. He has always wanted to live forever, become a god. He wants to drive away any darkness with spectacle and more murder. So more <laughs> darkness, but that's what he thinks is good. 
he generates no light. And Apollo thinks about the way that the way station generates light um, kind of more metaphorically. He sees it in Emmy and her defiance in the same light that he saw in her when, when she jumped off that cliff when we got really hyper fixated on mobs and yeah. <laughs> made her, yeah, right, throwback. And he made her immortal. And he sees it in Joe and how she lives properly for this time she has left, like, you know, after her game days. <laughs> And above all, he, Apollo, is like, wait a second, I am the god of light. He kind of remembers that. It's like he only has been focusing on the poetry with the haikus. It's <laughs> taken all of his focus. And the rapping, yeah. And the, he's focused on music a lot, but he remembers he also can do light and sun. He tells Commodus to let the hostages go and leave empty-handed, which Commodus doesn't find threatening coming from this mortal. And Apollo's like, remember who I am, like, remember how I murdered you and you didn't find me threatening and then I murdered you because I'm Apollo? Um, and Commodus just sneers at him. He calls Apollo a so-called god, a betrayer, a flabby teenager. Apollo tells his friends to all avert their eyes and then his body superheats, every particle lighting up, and he becomes pure light. It lasts less than a second, but chaos ensues in that time. The hostages are all let go in the chaos, and where they stood, their silhouettes of them are burned into the floor, which is really cool. Mm. Commodus's purple robes are now bleached a shade of mauve, and pretty much like all the furniture is bleached as well. Everyone's hair has been lightened too. They all have like little frosted tips going on. It's like it's Florida or something. Apollo's skin. I actually don't know if people have frosted tips in Florida. I'm basing I was that gonna off say, of it's the Brooklyn Nine Nine episode where Jake lives in Florida undercover <laughs> and has frosted tips. I was like, it's very in sync '90s reference to have frosted tips. But it's also Florida Jake Peralta. <laughs> <laughs> Apollo's skin is now, as Talia, Talia calls it, toasted. His injuries are also healed. And he has this thought to himself. He's like, I really hope I'm not mortal for too long because I'm going to get skin cancer from that, which was kind of... <laughs> I was exactly what I was thinking when they were like, everyone's yeah. hair is lightened. And I was like, oh, the damage, the sun right? damage. Yeah. Right? I'm like, I hope y'all put your sunscreen on this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, Commodus now is also blind. He can't see. He And Apollo tells Commodus to leave the city and not return. Commodus is freaking out. He's yelling. He says to Apollo that, that he has no idea what's in store for his friends in the East and the West. He doesn't know what's coming. They're all going to die. Lydiaerses then steps forward um, because he's kind of like, I want to I wanna handle this. I have personal beef with Commodus. And Commodus claims that he saved him, that he was a second father figure to him. To which Lit says that he was a second father even worse than the first. Once again, fighting with daddy issues against Commodus, and I love mm-hmm. to see it. They bait Commodus into charging at the window, basically, and with Calypso's magic, they send him on a gust of wind away from the way station. I think I gasped out loud during this chapter, because there was a part where he almost falls, or he does fall into the open saw of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought he was going to die that way. Like, because of the violence that has been in this book, I was ready to believe that Rick was ready to just murder him that way in front of Georgina. But then he right? doesn't die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been sa- kind of satisfying, but also really awful. Yeah. Really just but like... satisfying, like, to get a god, or a god, I guess, like, part 
gods to get one of the the baddies out of the way in book two. Yeah, and you know? to do it in such a way that he like he himself just falls into an open saw that's there. Mm-hmm. Like damn. <laughs> All right, chapter forty. I'm gonna get my prophecy voice on for this one. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare, don't bring that iambic pentameter up in my face, yo. <laughs> Make it into a rap. Apparently, does he always does? He does. That's what he's he's going through something. I think. <laughs> so they rush to get Meg, who's being carried around by the carpoy still, and like she's not conscious and not well. And they get her onto the throne of memory. When placed upon the throne and told to speak her prophecy, she sits straight upward, and dark smoke spews from her mouth. So now we get a new prophecy, and this one is quite long, so buckle buckle up. You always get the prophecies. I do. I don't know what's up with that. Don't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I'm just like Rachel Elizabeth Dare, right? There we go, yeah. The Oracle. The words that memory wrought are set to fire. Ere new moon rises o'er the devil's mount. The changeling lord shall face a challenge dire, till bodies fill the tiger beyond account. Yet southward must the sun now trace its course, through mazes dark to lands of scorching death, to find the master of the swift white horse, and wrest him from the crossword speaker's breath. To westward palace must the luster go, Demeter's daughter finds her ancient roots, the cloven guide alone the way does know. To walk the path in thine own enemy's boots. When three are known, Tiber reached alive. Tis only then Apollo starts to jive. God. <laughs> Let me just say, I don't, I'm not a fan of pan, pantamic, iambic, fuck. <laughs> I'm not a fan of iambic pentameter. I always find it like, I remember my lit classes in college, like, I really find it hard to read out loud. Like, it doesn't flow to me. Sorry, Shakespeare, but I just don't find it pleasing in my brain. Yeah, I don't like it either. It doesn't read as smoothly as people think it does. Yeah, like, when you try to read it out loud, I always find it sounds weird. And Apollo does, he does talk after that. He has a little moment where he's like, oh my god, I hate Shakespearean sonnets. I told Shakespeare this would never catch on, but then it did. Um, so I guess maybe Rick feels negatively towards them as well. Yeah. I'm sure when he was trying to write it, he was really mad that he had to write it, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Made his own yeah, bed. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so Shortly after, Apollo's like, that was, it was Shakespeare, or curses. He then passes out from all the godly power and is brought to the infirmary. Later, he's dressed and feeling better, and Meg is resting. Leo's collecting pieces of Festus, because he's, like, always falling apart. Because, like we've said, he's a, Festus is a problematic king. I kind of, mm-hmm. like, I really love Festus. He's grown on he me just, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. At sunset, they all have a funeral for Heloise, who I... Forgot died since the last one we read. And I had a no I hate it when they kill animals. I think they should be braver. Our authors, TV show writers, be braver and kill humans instead of animals. Like if you're ever writing something and you're like, I need to kill this horse or this dog, maybe just kill the human instead. That's what I think. 
Or just like Personally. also, and when it's a human, kill the white person. Don't keep killing the people mm. of color. Or that's and true. then make sure yeah. no, don't kill the, the lesbian characters either. Just go yeah, for that's the white true. straight male. Yeah, like Rick, take Rick. notes. Stop <laughs> killing your griffins. Start killing your white men. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, it's really sad, the funeral, obviously, because it's a funeral, but also because her mate, Abelard, lets out this sad cry over Heloise's body, and then she crumples to dust and he flies away. It's really oh, sad. He does abandon the fact they do have an egg there still that they they made together. So I guess the egg's going to have daddy issues. But they think that he will come back eventually. He just needs some time to process things and they'll care for the egg while he's gone. After the ceremony, ceremony, Georgina approaches Apollo with a pipe cleaner doll. She gives it to him. She's like, my mom's told me you might meet my dad. And he's like, I, I very well might. And um, then he kind of offers, he's like, you know, if you need me, ever want to talk? And she's like, nope, and walks away after giving her pipe cleaner doll, which I love. It's fair, um, honestly. Right? They then decide to all gather together over dinner to make a plan and discuss and analyze the prophecy. So of my notes, I do think with all the different poetic structures for these prophecies so far, which was not something that was a big point in PJO or in Heroes of Olympus, I think the oracles are purposely fucking with Apollo for all of his bad poetry. Like, they're doing this on purpose to annoy him. <laughs> I would, too, do that. How can I get under my boss's skin? Right. And then I also know that I'm going to need your your predictions for this one, but I know the next chapter they, like, analyze it. So after they yeah. analyze it, whatever's left to question, we'll have to go over. Yes. I'll go through <laughs> it line by line. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, I have chapters 41 and 42. Chapter 41, prophecies don't mix with tofurkey and biscuits. Just give me dessert. Have you ever had tofurkey? No, I me think neither. that's silly. I think you should just have tofu or turkey. Why do you need to, why, why does it have to be something combined? No, people already don't like turkey. Tofurkey actually doesn't have turkey. It's just tofu, but made a certain way. To like taste like turkey. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is turkey? Okay, I thought you were saying it was like a mix. <laughs> no, turkey is <laughs> already universally hated by a lot of people who eat meat. So mm. why would you make tofu? Is it? it is. I think a lot of people don't love turkey. Like Thanksgiving. What population is, the only is time. this? Who are you serving? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> are you a turkey fan? Oh, you don't eat meat. I know. I'm a vegetarian. Mike a turkey fan. I mean, Mike, Mike he eats it on holidays. That's <laughs> true. My dogs like turkey, so. Well, again, your dogs and Mike will eat anything. If <laughs> That's true. They're basically the same species. <laughs> but um, I think the tofu, the thing that makes tofu good is when you cook it a, the correct yeah. way. And so why would yes. you cook it a way it's not meant to be? Anyway. I'm Coming not down a big hard fan. against tofurkey today. I am. I am not a fan of trying to make fake meat taste like meat when it's not meant to be. Like it just then, if it's not going to taste good trying to be meat, just be who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Be true to yourself, Tofurky. I agree. I agree. 
with your meat. Stay- I don't like fake meat. Mm-hmm. Don't give me an impossible burger. Give me a black bean burger. Yeah. Take notes, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. If you are taking our order or making us a restaurant and then taking our Ooh, order. Making us a whole restaurant? Wow. Yeah. That's true um, friendship there. That's like top of the mob behavior, you know? Yes. Might be a cult by that point. Yeah, it's a cult at that point. Yeah. Maybe like like light slave labor if we're not paying for this restaurant. We'll pay. Don't worry. All right. So Leo manages to mostly reconstruct Festus while everyone is cleaning up. There are a couple parts of Festus that are still missing, but it's not bad for an evening of work. Everyone gathers for dinner and starts working on the prophecy. Meg doesn't remember anything that was said, nor does she really care, which is true Meg fashion. They also (laughs) notice that cheese ghost Agamethus hasn't been seen since before the battle. Everyone hopes that the destruction of the cave has kind of led him to find peace and hopefully would lead Georgina to also find some peace. Talia notes that the first stanza mentions the new moon, and she thinks that's a deadline for the prophecy, which is set to happen in five days. Bodies filling the Tiber is referencing an attack on New Rome, with the changeling lord being Frank, or as Leo says it in the most horrific way, that's my homeboy, Frank. His homeboy. His homeboy. It's like you can tell immediately when you like. I, I don't know. Like I was like, my teeth hurt when Leo speaks. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so like his dialogue in this book is just like. Ugh. It's unhinged. It's so bad. He Rick has to have been playing a practical joke on his editor, and his editor let him right? have it. Yep. No it's way. The only way. <laughs> also the all the talk about words that memory wrought is probably about ella and her ability to reconstruct the lost books of the uh cumean cycle apollo guesses that the tri- triumvirate is going to try and wipe out new rome to remove that threat of ella's knowledge and her power it's like a big thing to do just yeah. to get rid of one heartbeat who it's has a big good memory yeah The hunters can't go and warn the people of Camp Jupiter because they have to continue with their own quest. The beast that they're hunting is the Timacian fox, something ancient and very deadly. Leo decides he will go instead. Without Calypso and Apollo, he thinks he can make it to camp in five days. Calypso's like, it took us six weeks (laughs) to make it like half of the country. And you want to do the other half of the country in five days. Mm-hmm. He's like, you guys were slowing me down. Yeah, he literally says that. <laughs> um, Calypso's not thrilled with the plan. She doesn't like the idea of Leo going out by himself, but there doesn't seem to be any other option. The rest of the prophecies left for Megan Apollo. They assume that the next emperor must be somewhere in the American Southwest, and the mazes they're talking about must be the labyrinth, because there's apparently no other fucking maze in the, all of Greek mythology. The crossword speaker, Apollo guesses, is the Erythrian Sable, another ancient oracle that gives her prophecies in word puzzles. As crosswords? The New York Times crossword? I love it. I love it. Do you want to play some boggle? Let's figure out your prophecy. She invented Wordle. (laughs) Apollo can't place who he thinks the last emperor may be. 
He asks Meg if she has any relatives in the American Southwest, but in true Meg fashion, she's like, I'm not going to talk about that in front of everybody else. So he doesn't pressure her. So that's probably a hint to me specifically that she does have like an uncle or something who lives mm-hmm. in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. Um, they also need a cloven guide, meaning a satyr to take them through the labyrinth. But no one else seen a satyr in these parts in decades. Because satyrs don't like the Midwest. They like their trees and they're wild. Which is odd because I feel like the Midwest is a lot of like wild but in a different way. Like open plains, cornfields. It's not wild, but you know. They just really, I mean it's because they hang out with like the dryad, the tree nymphs. Yeah, there's not a lot of trees. Yeah. Meg casually says that she will find them one. And then he does, she doesn't elaborate again, Meg style. Yes. That's the most the group can make of the prophecy, so everyone else heads to bed. Even though it's late, Apollo stays up to see the hunters off. They're taking the armored battle ostriches, hilarious <laughs> concept, who have been calmed down by, um... <sighs> I was saying his name earlier, and it was fine, and now I'm looking at it, and it suddenly looks new. Hmm. I think it's Alujime. 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 Okay, anyway. They're taking the armored battle ostriches who have been calmed down by Alujime. Talia asks Apollo about the wonder that is Alujime. She suspects that he's not even of Roman or Greek descent. And Apollo agrees. Apollo's like, yeah, that's probably right. Apollo thinks he's a completely different parentage and tradition. That's something that shocks Talia, even though she's literally seen Roman and Greek <laughs> gods change form. Mm-hmm. She's like, there's only one true religion, and it's Greek. Yep. <laughs> She's surprised that different gods can coexist. Apollo calls them different manifestations of the same truth. Talia asks Apollo if he gets chance, the chance to go out west, to go stop by in L.A. and check in on her brother Jason and his girlfriend Piper, who are currently MIA. Apollo asks Talia to give his best to his sister, and the two part ways. So what this tells me is that we're going to be seeing Jason and Piper in the next book. Mm-hmm. Maybe near the end, because that's where everyone shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, so we'll talk about the prophecy after I finish the next chapter. <clears throat> <Okay>. <laughs> chapter 42, Pancakes for the Road, Need a Guide for Your Journey, Check the Tomatoes. Meg wakes up Apollo at the crack of dawn so he can have breakfast and pack before their journey. Apollo walks over to Lydiaris, who will be staying at the way station. Lydiaris thanks Apollo for giving him a second chance, and Apollo says, We share common ground. We're both sons of overbearing fathers, and we've been misled and burdened by bad choices. But we're talented in our chosen ways. Apollo says that he believes in second and third and fourth chances, but warns Lydiaris not to mess up again. Apollo then goes to Agamethus, who has appeared in front of a window. Apollo tells him about what happened to Trifonius and what Trifonius said before the cave collapsed. Apollo expresses that while he believed that Trifonius and Agamethus should have been punished for their crimes, which is why he didn't help them when uh, Trifonius had originally asked him for help, he had not expected them to have to live out their punishment for so long. He promises that when he is a god again, he's going to go and petition to Hades to get them to the underworld so they can finally be at rest. 
Agamethus instead, via magic eight ball, says, I will go where I must. I will find Trifonius. Take care of, e- of each other, as my brother and I could not. Then he disappears. Apollo joins Meg on the roof of the way station. Meg goes to the tomato patch and presses her hand on the dirt. The dirt rolls away and the form of a young sleeping man is revealed. Apollo recognizes him and introduces Meg to our friend Grover Underwood. I love that he's just like transported from wherever he's sleeping or napping. Just like pulls him literally through the earth. Where was Meg when Gaia was around? She could have just right? like punched the like sleeping grandmother form back into the dirt and then everything would have been fine. I think if Meg had been on that quest, she would have gone too well. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It would have been done in too spoke. easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so we got a little bit of information about the prophecy, um, but I'm going to go through. So the words and memories wrought are set on fire. That is what Apollo believes is Ella, which I did not mm. see. Um, new moon, I also think is a deadline. So conveniently five days. Changeling Lord. Mm. Lord is weird, but changeling, I yeah. guess, is Frank. Yeah. I guess he's, a, he's the um, whatever. He's a change. What is the thing called? Praetor. He's a praetor. So he gets An like, like a lord. <laughs> so the lands of scorching death, I think they're going to go to Arizona. Mm-hmm. To find the master of the swift white horse. What color was Hazel's horse? Whose horse? Black. Hazel's? Oh. He was black, though, wasn't he? I don't know. What was his name? <laughs> what was his name? Started with an A. Arion. Arion. Let me look him up. He's brown, I think. Oh, He's like a brownish God. color. Just in this fan art. <laughs> I feel like Hikate or someone mystical. It's going to be some lady who has a white horse. That's the master. Mm-hmm. Okay. The swift white horse. Remember, that's Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. That's all right. Taylor Swift is in Arizona. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Westward Palace must let the luster go. <laughs> I think the Demeter's daughter finds her ancient roots. We're going to find out that Meg is, like I thought, older than she appears. Like she's mm. from a different time and just has managed to stay here. Or her dad wasn't fully mortal, so she's actually not a demigod. Mm. She's more of, like, a minor god. That's Mm -hmm. my guess for that. The cloven guide alone the way does know. So, yeah, that's going to be Grover. Mm -hmm. To walk the path in thine own enemy's boots. It feels like, if I would take a literal sense of it, it feels like Apollo is going to have to use Nero's boots. But I feel like the the more practical sense of this is going to be that Apollo uses his dreams or his vision or what he knows of Commodus and Nero. Because Commodus is not dead, for sure. Yeah. Um, to get his way through the maze. Or another enemy that he has that I've forgotten about is going to help him get him through. Apollo starting to jive. I think that means his powers are going to come back. Oh, yeah. 
All right. Well, those are my guesses for that. Um, <clears throat> Uh, my notes. I think it's funny that this is actually applies to your chapter, but I remembered it. I think it's funny that Apollo passes out like suddenly because it's like we know our own bodies because we've lived in it for our whole lives. So we can kind of tell when something is wrong. But like toddlers who suddenly will fall over or trip. He's so <laughs> new to being mortal. He doesn't understand when he's about to collapse or needs to rest. <laughs> so he just passes out. Yeah like a little baby um, the whole and this was kind of mean but i was like the whole leo and calypso making plans to stay and go to high school was like all moot because now leo was leaving anyway so it was just like a waste of my time to read about personally mama see leo's now like i'm gonna get involved in another quest see you later <laughs> bye honey <laughs> can't sit still so bye I'm still sus about Georgina's parentage. It just doesn't make mm. sense to me that Apollo is her father. She feels mm -hmm. more something else, but I, I don't have other explanation for her. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the last thing, I just like, complained lightly. I was like, we've talked about the labyrinth in every series, and I understand it's really back. cool. It keeps coming back, and it keeps growing, and I understand it's never ending. But it doesn't feel at it was so cool in Battle of the Labyrinth. It didn't yeah. feel as cool. Um, because they used it so much in Heroes of Olympus. And it also wasn't evil anymore. So it's just kind of yeah. like a maze. So I'm kind of not so excited to be going back down there. I was hoping for something new. But I have a, since everyone likes the book, next book so much, I think that uh, I will be pleasantly surprised. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, yeah. okay. So before we do our lightning bolt questions, let's do our little like book recap. So I guess like what are we, what are our overall thoughts on this one? Um better than the first one. Yeah, I, I agree. liked the pacing of this better. Mm-hmm. I liked the villain in this one better. Mm-hmm. There are some things like Leo's characters and his dialogue that threw me off a lot wasn't a fan of his dialogue his characterization was fine he seems like very normal leo he's just his dialogue was just garbage yeah um, i agree i feel like i remember the first time i read this i didn't like this book as much but now rereading it i actually like it better than the first one i think it's seriously just leo's dot like i think because i liked leo and heroes of olympus and then this just kind of like i just was not expecting him to get worse <laughs> but now like going in with the expectation of like oh yeah i really didn't like him as much in this book i was like oh he wasn't as bad as i remembered it's just the dialogue is really just bad. the dialogue Mm -hmm. It's just such, you don't think that someone can write dialogue, especially because his dialogue was mostly normal, like the Spanglish was bad yeah. in Heroes of Olympus. This was just a, what happened? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something went wrong. Something broke. <laughs> All right. Do you have a favorite part? Oh, you know, I think I really liked the, I love the flashback that I know we talked about when Phoebe was on, the flashback mm -hmm. to when he killed Commodus. I find that part really interesting and very well written. And I also loved the, like, battle scene in the arena because it was so chaotic. There was so <laughs> much going on. 
And it was really like kind of quintessential Riordan verse, just like the chaos and the absurdity and the really extra villain. I loved that. I really liked the um, the ending scene, the way he takes Commodus down by showing his light. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it was a great character development for Apollo to ha- be able to have control over his powers like that because he knows he's doing something heroic. At the same time, it was just like so, such a callback to like the daddy issues that Commodus is holding on to and everything that was wrong with Commodus. I thought it was like a really satisfying way to end the book. So I really liked yeah. that. And also I was just thinking too, it's, cool how he taps into his powers but he's not tapping into them as like i am apollo i'm the god of this but he is reminded about light from the mortals around him and their actions and that's pretty cool yeah yeah i liked that a lot i thought it was really well done especially since the last couple of books the battle scenes and the ending scenes have been so bleh this one was like nice and satisfying and felt like a good wrap-up without being like a full wrap-up mm-hmm for sure do you have a least favorite part? Um, least favorite part. On Leo's dialogue Same. really killed me. Same. Um, I was gonna say, just say Mamacita. That's my least favorite part. Least favorite oh boy. Part. Oh, rough. That was, mm-hmm. that was definitely not my favorite. I didn't love, I don't remember why, but I remember reading it and feeling kind of confused and bored. When they're fighting the sea serpent thing. Oh, yeah. Now, but that mm. was silly. Kind of but, just an extra monster to fight that wasn't really yeah. consequential. Yeah, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like horrible. So, yeah, you know, definitely Leo's dialogue then. Yeah, agree. Cool. Well, I'm excited to do the next one. And we just have a couple of lightning bolt questions before we, before we wrap it up for this book. Um, one I know right so I came up with two because I thought of two and also I didn't check the list of questions we've been submitted so sorry people (laughs) but we have used most of them would you rather be the prophecy speaker like Meg and not really remember the prophecy but be like possessed to give it or would you rather be there to witness it and like have to write it down and interpret it and stuff uh, I'd rather be the witness because I get so much anxiety if I even think uh, that I've been drunk and been weird. And like, mm. even when I was supposed to, I took, uh, I got LASIK on my eyes. Like, yeah, I had a, like they cut parts of my eye off and I was like <laughs> real hesitant to take drugs because I was like, but what if I like, I, I don't like not having control over my body and losing parts of my memory it just makes me really anxious. And so I'd rather just, you know, I can write things down. I can scribe, but that's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be the witness. Yeah. Yeah, I feel kind of torn because I think it sounds kind of fun. Holy <laughs> God, Prophecy giver in the sense that, I don't know. Main just character like, energy. Main character, but not even. Like, it's kind of like the side characters that are always possessed and stuff and everyone else. The main characters are like interpreting it. But I do think interpreting a prophecy sounds really cool. So if I could be possessed, but then also be around and interpret it afterwards would be my ideal situation. (laughs) Because I've always really liked, I remember since, again, Gregor the Overlander, since reading those books, there were a lot of prophecies in them. And as a kid, I used to like write them out and try to like predict what would happen before it did. 
which is very pure. So I think I'd like to analyze the prophecy, no matter if I'm giving it or witnessing it. Yeah, I mean, everyone likes the puzzle. I just don't want to have a bunch of people watch me, like, have, like, black smoke come yeah. out of my mouth. And I feel like that's a little embarrassing. <laughs> I just think it's fascinating, like, if someone could record it. Like, whenever I, because I sleep talk, and I always really want to know what I said, but Mike was always like, I don't remember. Or like, oh, you just mentioned something and then fell back asleep, because he's half asleep. Mm-hmm. And I just have always really wanted to know, like, what it looks like and what I say. I don't know. It just sounds interesting. interesting. I mean, I don't sleep talk. I think the only time I've ever slept talk in my life is when I was in the dorms and my two roommates oh. sleep talk constantly. Mm-hmm. And apparently I, like, one of them was talking, the other one was still awake, and she watched me sit up and look at the other one and tell her to shut up. <laughs> And you're like, oh, I was sleep talking. I don't remember. Yeah. No, I was like, <laughs> no, I was like dead. Because she asked me, she was like, hey, do you hear her talking too? And I was just like, shut up. And I went back to bed. I got the best sleep talking stories from roommates, like in the dorms. I was lame with that. Like he just sleeps through it and it's kind of disappointing. But <laughs> in the dorms, I remember one of my roommates said one time I sat up in the bed and I looked at her and she used to stay up really late like on her like watching shows I looked at her and I asked her who I was and then I laughed and fell back asleep isn't that so creepy that's so creepy I would start the exorcism so fast (laughs) like no thank you that was also the dorm room that we thought was haunted Mm, and we thought that the ghosts specifically didn't like my roommate because all her stuff would always fall off the walls but my side never would yeah Good times. Um, so my other question, a little bit of a sidetrack. What is the saddest fictional animal death, in your opinion? Okay, so do not laugh. Always. Oh, no. <laughs> I wept in a theater like, openly when in the new, the newer, it was new at the time, Jack Black King Kong movie came out. <laughs> Wait, what? And they were harpooning King Kong in the jungle. That's the saddest animal death. I sobbed. (laughs) I was sitting there crying. I was openly weeping. My mom thought something had happened to me. She's like, I don't cry very much. And then don't cry very much at movies. I think the last movie I cried at was with you, Erin. Uh, was Prince oh. being a wallflower. Oh my god. Yeah, that was a rough <laughs> one. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this movie, oh, and Pred- Bridge to Ter- Terabithia, but that was more of the shock of it all. But yeah. But that wasn't um, an animal. That wasn't it. But I'm just oh, saying, like, the movies okay. I've cried at. So, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, when he doesn't even die at that point, they just take him to New York, but he's like being harpooned, and I was sobbing. <laughs> He dies in the end, but not that part. Okay, well, that is a choice of an answer. <laughs> thank you for thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I was gonna say like uh, where the red fern grows, <laughs> Charlotte and Charlotte's Web. I honestly didn't cry. I feel like it was her time. You no, know? oh, like God. it wasn't like a shocking thing. It like was she so was at shocking. peace with it, but she yeah. was at peace with it. You know. Yeah. 
It's true. And, and where the red fern grows, they weren't at peace with it. It was traumatizing. You're like the dogs. I'm like King Kong. <laughs> King Kong. Pour one out for King Kong. <laughs> okay, my question. What puzzle or like puzzle format or poem style would be the worst way to receive a prophecy? Oh, the worst way? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like Sudoku. Oh, and like you do math. math? Yeah. I don't even hate math, but it would just like kind of annoy me, the principle of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anything to do with like spelling? Like I was thinking mm-hmm. of Boggle, if you've ever played that. It's kinda like oh, crosswords. I'm, a, I'm really good at Boggle. Like I'm really It was like I punishment game. Oh. I'd have to do it if I did badly on as like a spelling test or something. So I, I really associate it with getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I get it. So yeah, if it was a boggle and I had to like find all the words, I would not, I would not do it. It would, it would be really bad. It would actually be torture. Oh no. <laughs> that would be the worst way, I think. So yours is like Sudoku, mm-hmm. mine is boggle. <laughs> <laughs> the torture games. <laughs> all right. Well. We did book two. We did it. We finished it up. It was good, which is a nice surprise. Yeah. So. Know, right? We have a week off, and then next mm-hmm. time we talk to y'all, we'll be starting The Burning Maze, chapters one through six, and it's going to be our 100th episode. We're going to have a little celebration. I don't know what that entails yet, but we're going <laughs> to do it. It'll be fun. Maybe we'll be drunk. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Tune in. <laughs> the episode's just screaming into the mic. <laughs> Listen, listen, Aaron, Aaron, listen, listen. Absolutely the burning mystery. days is the whole earth. <laughs> Global warming is real. Global warming is happening. <laughs> well, if you're interested in supporting us <laughs> and our screaming in our 100th episode, you can find us on Patreon. Link is in the episode description as well as a link to send us an audio message. We always appreciate all your audio messages, like even if it's not a question to put on the podcast and they're just like gushing about how much you love us. I always Aww. appreciate it. It's so nice. Yeah. Our social media is at CampHathBot. Our email is CampHathBot at gmail.com if you want to send me a little a longer note. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.